Kalu's going to inbound it to Madu. She gets it back now. Now some pressure on the perimeter. Almost walked. Now Ilonu. Kalu launches a three. Go! Oh, can you believe it? Unbelievable! They haven't made a three all day! And Kalu has just hit the shot that will get Nigeria into the quarterfinals. More and more, we're seeing high-performing athletes becoming successful entrepreneurs. We have Derek Jeter in the Players' Tribune, Venus and Serena Williams with Eleven and Serena Ventures, and Cristiano Ronaldo with CR7. But we also see many pro athletes who experience financial success at the height of their careers who end up going broke shortly after retirement. And then within the successful entrepreneur category, we have the superhumans. Individuals who launch ventures while in the midst of their athletic careers. They juggle building a business with the demands of training and traveling, bridging two seemingly disconnected worlds while putting themselves on a trajectory that extends beyond their current sports careers. And it makes sense that the worlds of business and sports overlap because a lot of the traits that help you have success on the field or on the court translate into ingredients for success in the business world. Traits like teamwork, resiliency, and focus. All these things and more can be said to describe Esme Kalu. My name is Esme Kalu, and I'm a professional basketball player. I'm currently playing right now in France, and I also play for the Nigerian national team. Esme grew up in two worlds, splitting time between Nigeria and the U.S. Her Nigerian heritage played a huge role in shaping who she was growing up. My mom is American, she's from South Carolina, and my dad is Nigerian, he was actually born there. I traveled to Nigeria often when I was younger. You know, a lot of people don't always know where exactly where they come from, and even when they do know, it's hard for them to travel back to where they are, where they come from, to kind of get that information that they need to know who they truly are. So I'm just happy that I was, I was given the opportunity to just like travel there as a kid and travel there now as a professional athlete and be able to see like where my family has come from and just to see the roots of and how far we've grown. Ezene has always had a strong support system with her family, and the fact that she represents her father's home country is certainly a proud accomplishment for them all. The fact that she identified herself with Nigeria really made me proud because uh, it's very rare these days to see uh, a child born out, out of Nigeria to proudly identify himself, himself or herself with Nigeria. So Ezene really made me proud by identifying herself with uh, Nigeria right from the one. She will even tell you that she, in her distance she's called the, uh, the Nigerian queen, which befits her because she's a queen and back from home. So, and for playing for the national team, uh, that's another part of the milestone that I'm very proud of because uh, only her can do a thing like that. And she did this without anybody's encouraging, without anybody's uh, pushing her. She did this all on her own violation. I'm very proud of her any day, any time. And I made sure that my family back home, everybody embraces her with, with open hands. While she's always felt supported by her family, their journey hasn't been easy. My mom definitely overcame a lot. She's one of 10. But my senior high school, my mom got a great job working for an organization known as IYO. 
they help underprivileged kids receive their uh, GED. So that was great. And we were able to move to a house and we've been there for 10 years now. And I'm just happy to see how far my mom came. She loves her job. She's making great money now. She's able to feed me and my other siblings and my nieces and nephews. And it, it's just exciting to see how far she's come as a single mom. Esne has a go-getter mentality that has helped her advance in all aspects of her life. You'll see this if you watch her play basketball, and it's a well-known fact amongst those who know her personally. She's a person I know to like go get it. You know, she's she's go after it, and you know, leader, competitor. Uh, the biggest thing, competitor. You know, Esne. That's one thing that I think really drives you know her success right now is her willing to compete. You know, it's a lot of great players, but you can't really teach and coach that, you know, competitiveness. That's something that has to come from within. What Esme is doing is, is amazing. You know, it's very important as women, athletes, you know, I wanted to say basketball, but athletes, you know, just really to really think about life after sport. A lot of women don't, but it's very, very important because, you know, one day, you know, you, you're going to have to retire from your sport. So what she's doing is amazing. This is Nadidi Madu, former Nigerian national team teammate and SNA's former roommate. She's the current assistant coach for the Nigerian national team. As she mentioned, for all athletes, it's important to think about what their lives may look like after they retire from sports. But especially so for women athletes, because many are interested in having children, which has serious and long-term ramifications on their careers. Ezene is ahead of the game in that regard. She's taken her determination and drive and channeled it into starting new initiatives, one being the Kalu Team Heat. This program came about through a partnership with the New Jersey Heat and is for girls who are serious about basketball who need that little extra support they wouldn't otherwise have. It's just pretty much about just empowering the youth, teaching them life skills through basketball, like time management how to be professional, how to maintain that professional appearance, the importance of discipline, fundamental skills, all of that. I want to teach those girls all of that through basketball. Given how driven SNA is, most people aren't surprised by the fact that she started this amazing organization. But she next tells me something that many are thrown off guard by. I love makeup. I love lipstick. I love lip glosses. Like, I love wearing heels, skirts, dresses. Like, I'm such, like, so prissy. She isn't afraid to be herself, cosmetic lover and all. And that's one of the reasons I reached out to her, because I appreciated how she embodies two worlds that, for many, don't usually go hand-in-hand association-wise, sports and cosmetics. Now, while she's always loved makeup, Esne hadn't thought of starting her own brand of cosmetics until one day during practice, her makeup had sweated off and got all over her jersey. Let's just say her coach wasn't super pumped. I knew I had a uh, late practice, but I still have my makeup on my face. And, you know, usually with the natural baby wipes, you try to get the makeup off, but it doesn't come off as good as you want it to. So one day I'm um, in practice and you just look down at my jersey and you just see my foundation and my lipstick and my mascara all over my jersey. And my coach is like, he's pissed because he's like, you see, this is what I mean about you girls, you know, wearing all this makeup is ruining all the uniforms. And I'm just, it's so embarrassing because, you know, obviously people will see that your makeup is melting all over your face, but to see your coach see it and then put you on the spot, 
it's just so embarrassing. So I'm like, I want to create a makeup line where I don't have to worry about makeup getting on my jerseys or ruining my clothes. I can just sweat and not have it be a problem. So I started, you know, researching companies that deals with, you know, creating formulas that that have lipstick and uh, makeup that's sweat proof and waterproof and that doesn't really mess up, you know, my my day job, which is playing basketball. And yeah, that that's what really really inspired me. That that moment there, my coach called me out in practice. Everybody knows me as the basketball player already. So I want them to know me as someone who can do something different. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to come out with my own lipstick line. And I started researching. I, I did my research, seeing what my competitors mm-hmm. were charging. I did my research on the on the MAC and the L'Oreal and the Kylie Jenner and the Fenty. I did all my research. I'm like, now it's time for me to create something where it directly correlates to me and my vision to give to other people. So in 2017, I finally found a manufacturer in Canada, and I've been working with them for the past few years now. And the lipsticks that I have now are sweat-proof. So when you sweat, they, they don't come off. When you eat, it doesn't come off. When you drink something, it doesn't come off. So I've actually made a formula where you can still sweat and still don't have to worry about your makeup or your lipstick all over your jersey, all over your uniform. I just wanted to create something where I can have something outside of basketball just to like get back to the ladies. And I don't want ladies to think that they have to look a certain way or they have to dress a certain way to play basketball. You can look, you can dress and you can wear whatever you want, makeup, lipstick, and still have the ability to feel beautiful while you're playing. Ezene shared that she was largely inspired by Rihanna and Naomi Campbell, both of whom started careers in different contexts had new creative visions, and made their way into cosmetics and skincare. And being that she started her career as an athlete, she had a passion for cosmetics and a creative vision, she was inspired to create her own brand, Kalu Cosmetics. You know, having access to my own schedule, being able to work, you know, when I want to and put in the time and effort that I need to kind of like reach my goals. I think that, you know, having the free time, it allows me to really, you know, take a break sometimes to get my creative juices uh, flowing and then come back to my project to kind of mold it into exactly what I want it to be. There's nothing wrong at all with, you know, having regular day jobs. But I feel like with, with being an entrepreneur, you, you really have creative control. And as any business owner does, SNA has goals and a big vision for her company. I definitely want to open up a, a small boutique, nothing big, but just a boutique where I'm not only selling Kalu Cosmetics products, but other Black-owned uh, products as well. I feel like, you know, with a shop like that, it'll give people a chance to, you know, shop from their different brands, their favorite brands, and kind of also put their brand into the store as well. Sort of like a beauty supply store. And I feel like with that, it'll definitely give a chance for the Black community to, to come together and it'll definitely give, a, give us a chance to network and really, you know, get to know each other, whether we're, whether we're from in-state or out-of-state, just to kind of have that community where we can grow and kind of, you know, get, you know, pick each other's brains about ideas or, and how they got started and, and what's their end goals as well. I love SNA's vision to open a storefront one day and partner with other Black businesses to showcase a variety of products. In today's climate, given the racial justice issues, there has been a big push encouraging people to actively support Black-owned businesses in their local communities. With Ezene being a Black business owner, I was curious to hear how she had experienced people's support, or lack thereof, 
sometimes in the black community, you don't really get much support is because a lot of people feel like there's always competition that you have to compete with the next person who may be doing the same thing as you. So I haven't always received a lot of support from the black community. And I wouldn't say that there's a lack of support or maybe the person might not just need what I'm selling, which is okay too. But I feel like even then there should be, you know, there should be some type of uplifting. There should be people of my, that look like me encouraging me to keep putting content out there. Or even if they can't buy the product, sharing the product on their page or, or making a post or just, you know, telling their friends who might need the product. It's always hard to get, you know, support from your own people because there's this mindset that you always have to compete or there, there can only be one winner. And it's sad to say, but I've definitely felt that from, from people that look like me. But I think it's some, of the, some of the reasons for that is social media. Nowadays, people are doing the same thing and selling the same thing. And people feel like, well, if I support you, then that doesn't further me in my career and what I'm doing. Or that doesn't, that, that takes away from, you know, what I'm trying to do with my business. I don't know. It, it sucks sometimes, but I do get a lot of support from family, from friends, but sometimes from strangers that don't always feel the love. There's always maybe a little negativity or about what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing, which is okay. Everybody's open to their own opinion, but I do wish that sometimes I felt more of the support from people who look like me, especially with everything else we already have going on in the world. It's always great to have like your sister or your brother to kind of like just motivate you and encourage you and to just, you know, share your post sometimes or to just let people know, hey, this is what Esme is doing. This is what she got going on. So it's, it's always great to feel that sometimes, but you know, you don't always get it. Esne's experience as a woman and black business owner isn't what I expected. Honestly, I expected her to say that she had experienced bias from members of the non-black community, but that didn't seem to be the case. So I was curious to hear from another woman of color entrepreneur to see how her experience compared to Esne's. So I reached out to Rashmi Chada. She's an entrepreneur in India and started Woe Voyage in order to solve a problem she had experienced firsthand. That travel for women in India is complicated, difficult, and sometimes dangerous. Rashmi wanted to help solve this problem. I want to bring some change, you know. So I want to solve a problem. That's why I become an entrepreneur. I remember the idea when I shared with few people that I want to start a women travel company. Yeah, they, they used to doubt about it and they some, some used to make fun, you know. I'll say that personality plays a lot of important role for me to stand up, whatever I want to say, or a lot of people wants to prove me wrong, but I did with my work and staying strong. You know, I never come back home crying that they insulted me or insulted my idea. Uh, I remember I pitched in for the first time uh, in one of the events and uh, I didn't know much about pitching, but I did that. On that event, one of the guys, like, he was insulting me, you know, comparison, doing comparison of my business model and, you know, showing that I, what I'm doing, like, it's a shit thing. If that guy, some someone, like, a guy have done it or maybe from IM or IIT, that's an Indian top institute. So they have praised it. So they don't believe in you know like a person idea they don't analyze it they see that you're a girl or boy where you have studied or not and i tell everyone please be strong which is very important stick to your ideas do your research as an entrepreneur i say you know do your research 
be strong on your numbers and nobody can beat you feel like more of an entrepreneur rather than a woman or a man after hearing both of these women's experiences as entrepreneurs the glaring thing that stood out to me is that they've both experienced bias Ezene has experienced the most bias surrounding the fact that she doesn't fit the mold of a stereotypical professional basketball player. Like you can love basketball and cosmetics? I don't get it. And for Rashmi, in her context, she's mostly experienced bias by being a female entrepreneur in a male-dominated culture. She's been made a fun of and had her ideas demeaned simply because she's a woman. Ironically, she's had a ton of success in her business. I wanted to better understand the connection between bias and entrepreneurship. So I spoke with someone who has dedicated her professional career to exploring this intersection. I spoke with Dr. Laura Wong, professor at the Harvard Business School and author of the book Edge: Turning Adversity into Advantage. What the main premise of my work looks at is that, you know, when we look at success and outcomes, everything from who's successful in in organizations and in entrepreneurship and in any sort of high intensity uncertain context, we've been taught from a really young age that it's about hard work, that success and outcomes are about hard work, right? We're we're taught like just work hard, work hard, work hard. And you ask people who are at the top of their games, right? Olympic athletes, CEOs of companies, world record holders, people who have IPO'd their companies, like what's the secret to your success? And inevitably, one of the things that they mention is hard work. And so we have this like love affair now with hard work and grit. And I would never say that those things are not critical because they are. But we also know that deep down, hard work alone is not enough. And that's because a lot of success and outcomes are determined by things like perceptions and signals and cues and stereotypes. And I think that's where the unconscious bias piece really comes in. Because you can take two different people that are equally that work equally as hard, and one will inevitably be more successful than the other because of these biases and stereotypes and all of these perceptions and attributions that are being made. What are some of the biases against women in the entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial world? Excuse me, and specifically women of color. It really depends on the context that you're in, right? So 80% of it is these general stereotypes that we have based on gender, race, ethnicity, class, sexual orientation, all of these sort of things, right? Normal sort of stereotypes around women are expected to be warm and communal and likable. And there's this double bind between warmth and competence where we know things like if you demonstrate that you're super competent, then you hit... Um, then, then you sort of are seen as less warm and then you face backlash because you're not fulfilling those gender role expectations. But at the same time, if you present yourself as very warm and communal, then you are at the same time judged as someone who's not competent. And then you're less likely to get funding for your venture and all sorts of things. The same thing happens with race and ethnicity and class. And there's intersectionality where there's some tricky pieces where for example, black women are are going to be perceived differently than Caucasian or Asian women. And so all of that kind of goes into that, that 80%. Now there's that 20%, which is really based on nuance. You know, I have recent research that shows, for example, just to kind of give you a practical example of the types of stereotypes and bias, that based on who we are and what we look like, we're likely to get asked 
different sorts of questions that women and people of color are more likely to get asked prevention-focused questions, questions that are focused on the risks and the drawbacks of something, whereas men and, and are more likely to get asked questions that are called what are called promotion-oriented questions, questions about the opportunity and how big you could take something. And so specifically for entrepreneurship, this is huge because at the end of the day, who is that investor going to invest in? Of course, that entrepreneur who's talking about the opportunity and the vision and how big something can be. And it just so happens that it's the men that are getting asked questions around like, where can you take this? What other markets can you expand this to? And so that's sort of one form of implicit bias that I see in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. You wrote that you can combat biases people have against you. How would you do that? What are the concrete steps you would take to actually combat those biases? Yeah. So here's the thing, right? When I started doing this research and I was presenting it, the question I kept getting was like, well, what can we do about this? Right? What, how do we sort of level the playing field? And what I found was that so many of the solutions were really unsatisfying because they were structural solutions or they were system solutions. But what do you do as an individual as you're waiting for these things to happen, for things to become more meritocratic? What are practical solutions and strategies and how-tos and tips for how, as individuals, we can empower ourselves from within these imperfect systems so that we're not waiting around for things to change? Because we've been talking about this for a really long time, right? If I go back to sort of the promotion versus prevention focused questions that I mentioned before, what I find in my research is that, for example, if you recognize that you're getting asked a prevention focused question, a question that's about the nitty gritty, the risks, the drawbacks of something, what you can do is answer the question, but you do so really quickly. And then you flip it to a promotion-oriented response. So if you're getting asked a question like, wow, there are a lot of competitors in your industry, you answer the question, you say, yeah, they're competitors such as X and Y and Z, but let me tell you about what our product is able to do that X, Y, and Z are not able to do, which allow us to then go after these new markets and these new segments and opens up these other customers. You flip it to that promotion-oriented response, right? That's what in the, in the interactions. I also find, for example, that there are underlying perceptions that we make about people, and we can flip those stereotypes in our favor, that we can guide and redirect people to that positive manifestation of those perceptions. Dr. Wong's insights help me understand the barriers that women like SNA face, but also how they can strategically go around them. SNA is breaking the mold, and it's not easy to go against the grain, but it's hugely admirable and takes serious guts. She leaves us with advice. Do your research, know where you came from, know that your skin is one of the magnificent things in the world. You know, we're, we're so talented, we're so creative, we're so innovative, we're so just like, just our presence alone inspires so many people and sometimes it puts fear in other people. So just, you know, try to be family oriented, try, try to stay connected to your roots and where you, where you come from. Um, and just honestly, just, just be proud, you know, be proud of who you are. 
be proud of where you come from, be proud of the color of your skin, and just try to make the best of, of any situation. Thanks for joining us on Flame Bears, the woman athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. Be sure to tune in to the next episode where I speak with Katarina Roxon of the Canadian Paralympic swim team. We'll talk about her experience having her dad as her coach, her decision to compete for Canada over India, and why living a healthy lifestyle is so important to her. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on your listening platform so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. We'll catch you on our next episode of Flame Bears. Flame Bears.